0: on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey, and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students Easy to use study guides and step by step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit KyleRicePrep.com. Thank you again, all, for your continued support, and now for the show.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Wyrock, and today we are interviewing our very own Dr. F. Scott Feel. Recently, Dr. Uh, Feel has published his very own book, and we really wanted to interview him about his book. So before we get started talking about your book, F. Scott, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what led you up to publishing this book for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with you.
2: Yeah, thanks, Steph. It's uh, interesting to be interviewed on this side uh, of your own podcast, but um I I absolutely love what we've done over the last couple of years, and it's kind of cool to to be on this side for once. So, yeah, I started out as an English major actually at Wake Forest University. And, you know, my dad was an English teacher on Long Island for 30 some odd years, and my mom was an English major when she was in college. So, they got me and my brother started pretty early reading and writing. I was able to place out of two freshman English classes. So, uh, by senior year, I had finished up all my English requirements, and I was able to take intro to Japan, golf, and bowling. So I had plenty of free time on my hands my second semester senior year, but I ended up volunteering at the local hospital and they put me in the PT department. And I thought, man, this is really cool. I could do this all day. You know, you get to play with patients, bat balloons around and stuff like that. This is great. You know, I could do this. And then I looked at my prerequisites and I was like, nope, don't have that one. Nope, don't have that one. Nope, still not. So... I uh, I ended up graduating with a a BA in English, and then I had a whole year of prerequisites that I ended up having to take. So after that, I got into East Carolina University, which was a master's program at that time. They offered us a a third-year transitional doctorate if we wanted to stick around. So I said I'd do that. I mean, it looked like that was the way the profession was heading and seemed like the right thing to do. Uh, In that third year, my dad got sick and was having some heart problems, and so he ended up eventually uh, having heart procedure and, and and passing away. And at that time, I was still trying to pass my board exam. I was working as a PT tech at the hospital where he passed away. And I, I ended up having to walk past the room where he passed every day to go clock in. And that really wore on me that that kind of took its toll. You know, I, I just didn't even know if I wanted to do physical therapy at that point. And, you know, I kind of gathered myself at that point and figured I get, I have to finish this that my dad would have wanted it that way you know I mean I I knew I couldn't go back to English I didn't want to write I didn't want to edit I didn't want to teach so you know I better make this physical therapy thing work you know he he had kind of half-heartedly named me after f scott Fitzgerald you know being an English teacher on Long Island it was always nice to know that you know writing was was easy to me and, and it came easy but At the same time, I I felt like at that point in my life, I just couldn't do anything in the English world. So, uh, you know, put my big boy pants back on and gathered myself and finally passed my board exam. And I started traveling right out of school because I just kind of wanted to see the country and and find myself, if you will. And so eventually I ended up taking my transitional doctorate at St. Augustine because uh, the window of opportunity at East Carolina had closed for me. And I, luckily, St. Augustine took a couple of the credits from ECU and transferred them over. So I was able to finish up my transitional doctorate there. And while I was finishing my transitional doctorate, the head of the EDD came over to me and said, hey, you know, are you interested in teaching ever? And I said, no, not really. Um, doesn't seem like my bag of chips. I've sat in on a couple of my dad's English courses for high schoolers, and that that just wasn't for me. They said, well, you know, some of the DPT, the transitional DPT courses transfer over to the EDD, so you could make a four-year program down to maybe a three-year program. I said, well, that that might make sense. You know, if my hands go out or my back gives out or my knees give out, I could always, you know, fall back on teaching. Uh, So I started the EDD program there. After many, many months and a bunch of kicking and screaming and dragging me across the finish line, I finally graduated with my EDD uh, December of 2018. And uh, since then, I've started dabbling in the world of academia and and adjunct teaching. And thanks to the podcast, the HET podcast here, I've been able to interview many, many experts in the world of academia and kind of figure out a, a pathway that maybe makes sense for me. And I'm learning every day. So that's kind of my background story and where I'm at at present time.
1: One of the things that I know we've talked about on this podcast, Scott, is the student debt crisis. Tell us a little bit how we've collected this data on the student debt crisis through our podcast and then maybe how that kind of links into the inspiration about your book.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's 100% the inspiration, right? I mean, we ask every guest at the end of our show, uh, if you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or otherwise, what would you change? And I I think the the number one most uh, given answer is the cost. And so hearing that over and over and over again, I just felt like, man, I'm in that same boat. You know, I have educational doctorate and a clinical doctorate and I have one hundred and forty thousand dollars in debt. And it doesn't seem, you know, right to climb that pinnacle and get to the top of, you know, what two to four percent of the nation with with terminal degrees and yet have that massive amount of, of student loan debt and then even worse if you do decide to go into academia likely take a pay cut in order to do that so that kind of you know got the wheels turned. and i had been working on a couple of side gigs and side projects for for years for the last 3 or 4 years leading up to the book and i was trying to find what worked and what didn't in order to you know still keep my foot in the realm of physical therapy and education maybe, but, but also branch out a little bit and think outside the box and come up with, you know, different services I could offer, different side hustle, side gigs, side jobs, just things that made sense for a physical therapist to maybe do. And, you know, that's when I finally put it all together. I think it took me probably about 10 years to kind of craft my method to organization in order to make it as easy as I've made it seem. And that being said, I've, I've probably tried about 25 different side hustles and side gigs, and of those 25, I've narrowed it down now to probably about eight or so that are still pretty lucrative and, and make sense for a healthcare provider or a healthcare academician uh, to try, and and the whole goal is to try to pay down your student loans quicker. I know, Steph, you've done a phenomenal job with your student loans. that That's my goal now is, you know, I, I talked to Joe Ranky at FitBucks about w- what I should do, and I'm by no means a, a student loan expert, but for my situation in particular, and everybody's situation's gonna be different, right? You're gonna try different things in order uh, to pay down your student loans in a way that makes the most sense financially for you and your family. For me, that made the most sense to do the income-driven repayment plan drive my payments down from about 1700 a month to 700 a month and then stretch it out over 25 to 30 years. Now, I don't plan on paying these loans in 25 to 30 years. My goal is to pay them down in 2 to 3. And that's kind of what the book's all about. That's where it was inspired from, you know, it really came from hearing that answer over and over and over again that the price was just too high and that the debt to income ratio for physical therapists was bad and getting worse. So that's that's really where the book came from and why I want to try to help people pay down those loans a lot quicker.
1: Yeah, I know that, you know, not only on this podcast, but even in conversations with student physical therapists that come through our clinic who I teach, as well as other PTs that I talk to in the area. I mean, the student loan crisis in not just physical therapy, but just in all of healthcare is... A big concern. And I know that there's a lot of people trying to make it with, you know, side hustles, lots of side hustles going on. So maybe give us a little bit of a uh, preview on some of the side hustles that you talk about in your book.
2: Yeah. So, I mean some people look at it like this, like, oh, we shouldn't have to have a side hustle. And you know, that that's, yeah, okay, maybe that's one way to look at it, right? But why not take something you already do or already love doing, right? A passion of yours, a hobby of yours, and turn that into a side hustle. So it's not so much work and and like, you know, that you're drudging through this side hustle or this side gate, but it's something you actually love doing and you get the benefit of of monetizing it as well. So one of the side hustles, for obvious reasons, is is writing a book, right? And writing is a big one for me. Being an English major, I have kind of circled back full, you know, full circle. And I think you know, realistically, my dad would be be happy to see that I'm that I'm doing something with my English background at this point. You know, writing's a big one, but it, uh, you know, writing your own book, writing your own story, getting it out there, telling people on, you know basically how how they came to be where they are now and and how their story can maybe help others. You know, that's a big one. I think writing a children's book is a, is a good option. To me, that can tell a story of what you do, what your occupation is. It helps bring awareness to the field or an area of specialty, right? Let's say stroke. There was a stroke in the family. Uh, maybe grandpa had a stroke and the kids go to visit and they're not really sure why his left side isn't working. You know, if you're really big into stroke, you could explain that process through a children's story and then grandma and grandpa can read the book with them and kind of tell them about what has happened and and the process and what they should look forward to in the future. You know, just again, as an awareness thing, you know, and you can make it Dr. Seuss like the children's book that I worked on was very Dr. Seuss like Uh, it rhymed for all 24 or 32 pages, whatever it was. Um, but again, I just think that's using your skills as a healthcare provider, or a healthcare clinician to really get out there and and spread the word of what physical therapy can do and how they can help people at a very young age. And, and again, maybe it just drums up some interest as well. Maybe they want to become physical therapists eventually because of a, you know, a children's book they love to read. Uh, But it's just a good way for, for families to kind of, you know, talk about situations uh, and, and diagnoses in it. In a pretty, you know, open and honest way, I think. Under the writing kind of aspect of things, I think you know, copywriting is another huge one because copywriting is very different than regular writing. Regular writing is uh, a little bit more flowery and English-like, whereas copywriting is is writing that's for sales, and a lot of that it takes training. It takes practice. It doesn't just happen overnight. And I had to read a bunch of books on copywriting in order to kind of get the, the gist of it. And luckily, I have a list of my favorite copywriting books. There's 10 of them or so. And that list can be found at pteducator.com backslash copy. people want to download that list. It's a really good list, some of the best out there. But once you get copywriting down, you can really look into things like email sequences and email lists for not only your clinic or your business, but for other businesses. And that's, that's really where to kind of take the book to the next level. Uh, One of the other streams of revenue is to start your own business or your own uh, clinic, your own practice, right? And if you do that, you can kind of use your own business as a test tube. You can kind of use it as a Petri dish to kind of do some experiments on and see what works and what doesn't as far as marketing goes. Once you get a system down that works, you can then offer those systems to other clinics and you can offer your services to other clinics. So now not only are you benefiting on your own practice because you're trying all these marketing things that work, you're also offering those marketing things to other businesses. So that's just a little bit of a taste of a couple of the ideas that are that are in the book there but you know it's really just kind of using your skill sets that you already have as an academician or a clinician and just offering those services to other businesses that need your services.
1: I think that you said something that's really important when you're talking about this, and that's, you know, innovation and entrepreneurship. Healthcare changes all the time. Healthcare is not going to be the same today as it is a year from now when we re-listen to this podcast. It's going to be different. And one of the things that I think entrepreneurial or innovative people are really good at is adapting to those changes. And as a profession, we definitely need to adapt. I would love the idea of the children's book because one of the things that we've talked about in our profession, as well as in healthcare in general is that we need to increase the diversity of the workforce. And, you know, if we expose kids to physical therapy at a younger age, potentially that's something that they can see themselves doing from a young age versus you know, maybe not even having that thought till college or high school. So I really love that you highlighted those, and I think that those are all really important points.
2: Yeah, you know, Steph, I think people highly undervalue optionality. This is kind of a phrase I've been saying for a while now, but I've always felt like, you know, if this happens, then I need to do that. Or if this happens, maybe I need to go this direction, right? There there has to be those if-then scenarios, right? And you have to kind of be prepared for those. And I think you said it best, right? Adaptability is going to be huge in the world of healthcare, but I feel like physical therapists are already well-armed with, with adaptability, right? We roll with the punches very well. We adapt exercises on a daily basis. We adapt equipment on a daily basis. You know, We just know how to problem solve and figure things out by the time we're out in the real world, in the clinical situation. So if we keep an open mind and we keep rolling with the punches, I think realistically we'll be able to figure things out. And I think entrepreneurs do a great job of of just kind of figuring it out and that's why I think it's a really good fit for physical therapists. And it's not for everybody, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that it's, it's easy and that everybody can just up and do it. But it's certainly something to consider, you know, moving forward for a lot of reasons, right? One, you get to kind of operate under the ways that you see fit, treat patients or run your business the way that you think is the best way to do it. You have a lot more flexibility that way. And I think realistically, it just comes down to, you know, what are your skill sets? What are your strengths? What can you lean into? And I think, that's going to be pretty important moving forward because we're getting to the point where there's a lot of burnout and there's a lot of people that are just you know getting sick of healthcare and the way things are looking and if reimbursement levels keep going down 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 well physical therapy is going to be in trouble so what's what's your backup plan what's your way to you know recessions proof yourself i think it comes back to that optionality right if the world of physical therapy were to crumble and collapse tomorrow i still feel pretty confident that I'd be okay knowing that I I can teach, you know, with the EDD and not just teach physical therapy. I I wish I could say I did this on purpose, but I think, you know, hopefully it was a subconscious decision. With an EDD, I can just teach education in general, if I wanted to. You have to work hard to get to that point. You have to put in a lot of groundwork and foundational layer work. Once you do, those options are out there. And and once the options are out there, it's amazing what kind of doors open and uh, the kind of opportunities that present themselves.
1: You had talked a lot about some of the adversity and the arduous journey that you had getting your two doctorate degrees. How do you think those experiences impact your ability to write this book and kind of the idea behind this book, as well as some of the side hustles that you do.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like the the oyster, right? Like a grain of sand gets into an oyster and it rubs and it rubs and it rubs and it rubs and it causes friction and discomfort, I'm sure, and pain. And at the end of the day, it, it produces a pearl, right? So, I mean, it takes a lot of adversity and a lot of uh, learning, a lot of bumps and bruises along the way. But at the end of the day, those are all learning processes, right? I mean, there really isn't a failure, so to speak. They're, they're all just learning processes. So I think as long as, as you're willing to put in the work, weather through some of those bumps and bruises, you know, you can come out at the end with a pearl, you know, a finished product that uh, you can be happy and proud of. And I think that's where, you know, I really kind of ended up with this book was, you know, it took way longer than I expected when I first started. I figured I'd be done in about three months or so, you know, but life got in the way and it ended up taking probably about eight. I I was okay with that. You know, I didn't beat myself up over that. It is what it is. It's out there now. And as long as you kind of stick to the vision and kind of keep it in mind, what you're working towards and, and your why really. Right. A lot of the why behind why I do these things is my family and to you know provide for them and be there. So I think as long as you keep that in the back of your mind and you keep your vision ahead of you, you're going to have bumps and bruises and, and twists and turns and things that are unexpected. And you're going to fall down a bunch of times. Right. It's just a matter of getting back up.
1: Yeah, I think you said it really well. I think that the journey is not easy and success is never a straight line, a trajectory upwards. It's always a little curvature with the ups and downs. And it seems like you have definitely learned from the failures that you've had in the past and have made them successes. Tell us about how what it was like working on the book. How long did it take you to write it? What was the process like?
2: Yeah, I um, I tried to get into a groove of trying to wake up early, you know, 5 a.m. or so each morning and write for about 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And that probably lasted about a month or so. And then I kind of fell off that train. Then I started trying to write at the end of the night for 30 or 40 minutes or so each night. And then I found myself kind of being up too late. At that point, I just started saying, all right, when I feel like I've got a flow or a groove in a few minutes I'll sit down and write. And I just kind of freestyled it from there. And like I said, life kind of got in the way and threw us some curveballs over the last uh, six months or so. So I think that kind of delayed my process. But weekends, I would take an hour or two here or there when I really had a good flow and I'd sit down and write. And I think, you know, it's going to be different for everybody. Everybody's got a different process when it comes to writing a book, I think. You know, some people like that continuity and rigidity of waking up every morning and and working on things for 30 minutes or so. Others have to just write until their thoughts are out and they're done writing, however long that takes. But, you know, in order to do that, you've got to have some time set aside. The process itself, again, for me as an English major was pretty easy. The writing part was easy. It was just finding the time to get my thoughts down on paper. And luckily, technology's gotten a little bit better too. You know, you can do uh, voice memos and have those things transcribed into words or you can just use dictation tools nowadays on your phone and just talk into your phone for hours and hours and eventually you end up with many many words and and you can use that to kind of put your draft down on paper and get ready to publish. So, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat, right? And I don't know where the fear comes or or what's holding people back from writing their book can tell you it was definitely a rewarding experience and I look forward to helping uh, a ton of people uh, pay down those student loans with the book. I've been saying that my phase one goal has been to help 222 uh, academicians pay down their student loans quicker and that number seems random but it came from the active list of physical therapy programs in the nation when I started the book. Uh, That'll probably have gone up by the time this uh, releases but but, you know, if I can help one professor from each PT school in the nation pay down their student loans, great. That's my first step. Uh, on top of that, along the way, if I help a couple other people that are maybe healthcare clinicians or in other areas of healthcare, great. It's just an added bonus. But phase one is, a, you know, I've set the goal to help 222 people. So we'll see how that one goes and then we'll build off of that.
1: Who have been some people that have really, besides what you talked about with the HET podcast, but who have been some? people that have really inspired you to write this book and have been instrumental in making sure you complete it?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I've got a handful of what I'll call mentors or coaches, you know, people that I look up to, people that are already kind of in the field pushing the envelope and trying to do different things, a couple of people outside of the field. I would say, you know, I, there was a point there where I was like a little bit nervous because I had a DPT, I had an EDD, and I didn't really want to use either one of them traditionally. So I got worried. But it's like, well, great. What is this $140,000 worth of debt all for if I'm not going to use them? And I talked to a bunch of these people, uh, people like uh, Paul Goff, Greg Todd, Jerry Durham, Danny matei and then a couple of people outside of the field, like Gallant Dill and uh, Dan Lafald. And, you know, they were there for me. They were mentors. They were people that I could kind of bounce ideas off of. They taught me some of the things about business and about physical therapy and non physical therapy, just life in general lessons. And it really came down to the fact that it was going to be okay, because as long as you leverage your skill sets and your degrees and everything that you've learned up to this point, it doesn't really matter what you do with it. It's it's all just a matter of leveraging it. So I've been able to use my EDD to help other healthcare providers uh, create courses and develop curriculum for an online course for the general public for an online course for other healthcare providers to show them, you know, whatever their specialty was or whatever their expertise was. So I'm still helping people teach and I'm teaching and I'm educating, but it's not necessarily within the confines of academia and the four walls of the, you know, a university. So I, I still feel like I'm able to, to utilize my EDD. Um, you know, it may just be offering services of how to build an online course, a little bit different, but still relative, I would say, and and really still attached to the EDD and, and healthcare.
1: I think it's important to highlight some of those people that have really been influential in getting you to publish this book because I know that it's not an easy feat You know, I know you have a young family, Scott, so maybe for our listeners who also have young families, tell us about maybe some of the sacrifices you've had to make in regards to your family to pursue these side hustles. Or if you feel like you've done a really good job balancing side hustles with spending time with your family, how have you done it?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough, right? You're always going to make sacrifices, you know, late nights, early mornings, things like that. Try to, you know, get it in whenever you can because you just don't know what kind of availability you're going to have and when you're going to have it. So I think it's, you know, work-life balance is, is a buzzword right now. Um, you know, and it's it, it's it's going to be different for everybody, right? It's going to be completely different for every family and a, and every clinician and every individual. I know for me, there's always that thought that, okay, how much time do I need to work on this versus, you know, how much of it is just a, a, a self-imposed uh, want to work on it, right? Like, oh, most of these deadlines are are self-imposed. So, you know, the good news for me is if, if I really need to just sit down and, and take some time, then then I do it. You know, it's you can step away from the side gigs and the side hustles. Uh, I try not to overextend myself. I think I've definitely done that at times and and overextended at times. And I I see what that looks like. And, you know, I think you need to really keep that in mind when you think of work life balance. You know, how how much time can I legitimately put in without burning myself out? right? Because again, I'm not trying to have people work 80 hours a week with these side hustles, but you know, it's going to take a little extra work and a little extra effort. But if you put that time in now, the hope is that over the long haul, it'll pay off and, and you won't have to do that. You'll have that time freedom, right? You're not having to trade time for money. I think that's the the time code, right? And how, how do we make our money work for us, you know, and how do we do things and set systems up and, and side hustles and side gigs that, you know, will help, pay us off, uh, not passively, but, but, you know, with less effort than working a nine to five, you know, but work-life balance I think is, is important, but it's going to be very individual. I think it's going to be, you know, what works best for you. I don't think there's a right or a wrong to that. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, what you're able to, to work out with you and your family.
1: And what advice do you have to our listeners who perhaps want to start their own book?
2: Yeah. I mean, you've got to just do it, you know, put, put the time in, put the words on paper, have a plan. You know, I think outlining is very easy. I think, you know, or at least it came easy for me. You know, if it's not, then there's several different ways to attack it, right? You can have a ghostwriter come and write your book for you. You can seek consult, you know, from other people who've done it already or people who, may be more English-based, you know, people who have a background in writing and and have written a book. Um, But yeah, if you just tell your story and you start there, because even if there's a book out already on the topic that you're writing about, nobody's going to tell that story like you tell it. It's going to be your own personal view on things. It's going to be your own, you know, take on, on whatever the area of expertise is. But that also helps, right? Using your level of expertise to help others uh, that makes writing the book a whole lot easier. If you're able to to kind of really dive into things that you know, you'll find that the words just flow a little bit better. So, you know, if you really want to write a book, there are several ways to go about doing it. It's uh, easier for some than others, but at the same time, even if it's difficult for you and you're not a great writer, uh, there are other options out there to to get it done. So don't be discouraged. If I can write one, anybody can, I promise.
1: Where can people get your book, Scott?
2: So it's, it's available on Amazon right now. There's a Kindle version, and the softcover version just came out this week, I believe, if you're old school, an OG like me who likes to hold the actual book in hand. And, you know, I'll probably have a link on the website in the upcoming days. I just wanted to get it out there first and make sure that it was, you know, able to sell and uh, people were able to purchase it, read it, and, and leave a review. But for the most part, if you just look up PT Educator on Amazon, it, it'll be the only one that comes up. The title of the book is "PT Educator, Student, Debt Eliminator: Multiple Streams of Revenue for Healthcare Clinicians and Academicians." It, it's really been a, a fun experience for me. Um, you know, the the release went very well, and I'm I'm really looking forward over the next. Two years or so to really kind of lean in on this and put forth the uh, vision that I had in mind when it comes to this project because there's a bunch of other avenues that are attached to the book that are going to be hopefully helpful to to others as well who are looking to take some of these side hustles and side gigs and ideas and really dive all in on them and and try to pay down their loans quicker.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely a proponent of paying down your loans as quick as possible, so I encourage people, you know, I know it can be overwhelming to think about how much student loans you may have, but if you really work at it and, you know, you work hard, live meagerly, it's something that you can do, Um, and we're always here at the HET team to encourage you along. So with that said, Scott, if you could change one aspect of healthcare education, what would you change and how would you change it?
2: I've kind of always said that I feel like physical therapy should just be considered the tip of our iceberg. And I think realistically, it's a great profession. I'm blessed to have gotten into it. It's offered me tons of opportunity. But I think, you know, even though I know somewhere along the line, teachers have to teach towards the board exam and getting people licensed and and passing the exam and, and whatnot, I think we need to incorporate in our teaching Other options, right? I talk about optionality a lot and and just allowing people to know that, all right, you know, not only are there options as far as what you can specialize in, as far as, uh, you know, pediatrics, geriatrics, uh, aquatics, orthopedics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We also need to talk about other jobs that physical therapists could hold, you know, in the workforce, right? They can be directors of rehab. You know, they can be um, admins, they can help hospital systems with, you know, some of their programming, you know, they can do population health, they can go in and do ergonomics, you know, uh, injury prevention for companies, right? It doesn't just have to be a nine to five in the clinic, you know, see 22 patients a day and call it a, a day, you know, it, there, there are other avenues in the, and the job of physical therapist looks very different in many different ways, especially as things progress year after year. I think that we need to start introducing some of those different avenues and open the eyes of our students to what is available out there. And the fact that, yeah, they could just be a clinician and go punch a time clock and that's fine, but maybe consider other avenues, other jobs, other, you know, things that can be done with a physical therapy degree. I just think, you know, that uh, we need to do a better job of educating our next wave of students to what is available and what's out there.
1: I think you summarized that really well, Scott. You know, I know that um, your voice is familiar on this podcast, but perhaps maybe for some newer listeners, if they want to reach out to you and have questions about your book or about any of these topics that we've talked about today, where can they contact you?
2: Yeah, so the blog is found at pteducator.com. I've started a new vlog cast, which is a fun little project. Basically, I, I got together and I wrote a uh, hundred different side gigs and side hustles for healthcare practitioners, and that can be found at pteducator.com backslash 100. It's called pteducators Revenue idea generator. And it's just a hundred different ideas and side jobs to get the juices flowing and, and kind of get your your brain working a little bit. And along with that, those hundred side gigs, I've done about 25 of them. And of those 25, I've narrowed it down to probably the best eight that I found to be the most lucrative and, and make the most sense for healthcare academician and a professor or a clinician. The Vlogcast is basically a weekly show interviewing a physical therapist or someone in the healthcare field that is doing one of those side gigs from the list. And I'm, I'm going down all 100 of them and it's a weekly show, so it'll be a two-year project. I've had some really good interviews so far with people that are out there doing uh, a nine to five as a clinician or a professor and then adding in a side hustle or two or a side gig. I just wanna, again, spotlight and showcase the fact that it can be done. There are people out there doing it. And then, again, it's not about working 80 hours a week. It's about finding something that you love and enjoy that you don't mind working an extra 10 or 20 hours on every week because it helps people out and it, you can monetize it. So those are gonna be the main areas. There's also a Facebook group that I've just started called Professors of Profit. You can look that up under Facebook groups. Basically, all the social media handles are at PT Educator, so pretty easy to find these days. Very accessible on social media. Uh, You'll continue to hear my voice, uh, like it or not, on the HET podcast. I love working with you and Brandon. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I can't wait for what we've got in the future.
1: Thanks, Scott. We can't wait for more uh, interviews with you. Good luck on your book. And hopefully you guys will go and purchase that book or if you have, if you have Amazon Prime, Prime or Unlimited, then you can Kindle
2: get it. Unlimited. I think it's free.
1: So uh, I purchased mine. Hopefully you guys will get yours. Thanks for joining us, Scott. And thanks to you, our audience, for listening to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast.
0: Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today. And we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content.
2: If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at H-E-T podcast, on Instagram, H-E-T podcast, on Facebook, The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast,